I was actually approached by a publisher who had seen my previous book and he said, you know, what's your next project? And I said, well, you know, I've read 20 books on people riding a bicycle or a motorcycle to the tip of South America and then are other books on people riding their motorcycles or bicycles around the world. And I think it's fascinating, but I want, I was like, we got adventures right here in America. Why, why hasn't anybody done a, a, a book on the, on the trans America trail? And he goes, that's perfect. Let's do it. And so then we just, next thing I knew we were doing it. You know, I, I, I blinked and I was on the trail. Coming to you from the heart of America. This is the adventure motorcycle USA podcast. On each episode, we'll talk with industry insiders, experienced adventure riders, ADV creators, and moto fabricators. On this episode, we catch up with adventure seeker, photographer, and author, Matthew Sturdivant, and his equally impressive riding and life partner, Gabriella Kiss. Matthew's new book, The Topography of Fear, has just been released, and on the show, we talked to him about his struggles with anxiety and how he used two wheels and the Trans-America Trail to help him overcome and wrestle with some of his biggest fears. Matthew's new book can be purchased at thetopographyoffear.com, and we'll put a link to that on our website and in our Instagram. You guys, be sure to stay tuned to the end of the episode for the epilogue to hear the crazy story of how through our discussion on this podcast, we realized we had actually met Gabriella more than three years ago on the trail of the Washington BDR. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. I'm your host, Matt McFadden, joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Terry Terrell Terrell. Hey, we got a good one for you today. We have Matthew Sturdivant and Gabriella Kiss on with us. Matthew, Gabriella, welcome. Glad to be here. Hi. So, Matthew, when I when I ran across uh, your post on, uh, I think, the TAT Facebook page and started digging into you a little bit, man, I was hooked. And uh, I, I really uh, got into your story and and just kind of bumped along the service. But uh, immediately uh, I kind of went through your page and I said, this is this is somebody I want on the show. This guy is super interesting. Uh, l- little did I know that you had an equally interesting life partner in, in Gabriella. And so I feel like I, I feel like we're getting two for one here uh, on the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm actually pretty boring compared to her. Um, you know, both her credentials, uh, you know, academically, and then she's just flat. I'll just say it right now. She's braver than I am with many, many things. She jumps out of airplanes. I would never do that. So yeah, she's, she's got it. Well, I think, I think that, uh, just that your honesty comes, comes through and, and is right at the surface. And I, I find that really refreshing, especially when everybody's on, you know, uh, big dual sports or adventure bikes and you're out there and uh, you're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to uh, to kind of show that. So so let's let's jump into your background a little bit. Uh, we don't need to go all the way back, but you kind of came to the the sport a little bit later in life. So tell us about how you you got into motorcycles and, and kind of what brought you to the start of your adventures. All right. So I uh, was getting married in 2008 or something, something like that. And uh, my best man told me, he said, hey, go get a learner's permit or a, a, a motorcycle permit. And I didn't really know for what, but uh, he 
surprised me by buying a plane ticket out to Arizona. We were going to go rent these big BMW 1100s and ride around the Grand Canyon. And I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. It sounds exciting. And when I got there, we got to the, the rental dealership and I sat on this bike. I had maybe 50 miles under my belt before that and all on like 600, 650s or, or you know, little dirt bikes. And with that, when I felt that power, I was just like, there's no way I'm going to drive 900 miles with traffic and rain and elk and all that stuff. So I actually ended up renting a uh, Ford Escort rental car <laughs> and I followed my buddy and every once in a while we'd switch places. But I actually think that I made the right decision that day. I, I think that was too much bike. And, and for that terrain, I, did, I didn't know what I was doing. And you know, thank right. God I wasn't 18. I would have jumped on wholeheartedly, you know. Um, but anyways, for, so that was my sort of introduction. And then I got a, I got a Suzuki VR and kind of slowly found my way. And then um, later, the idea for the Transamerica Trail came from, uh, I was actually approached by a publisher who had seen my previous book. And he said, you know, what's your next project? And I said, well, you know, I've read 20 books on people riding a bicycle or a motorcycle to the tip of South America. And then are other books on people riding their motorcycles or bicycles around the world. And I think it's fascinating, but I want, I was like, we got adventures right here in America. Why, why hasn't anybody done a, a, a book on the, on the Trans-America trail? And he goes, that's perfect. Let's do it. And so then we just, next thing I knew we were doing it, you know, I, I, I blinked and I was on the trail. So that was my, that fast. How many, how many uh, miles? So yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was a year later. It wasn't. Okay. I know that I got my bike and then it was, a, I got a, a DRZ and then it was like a couple months later that we were actually on the trail. Um, so, yeah. So you literally have had, by the time you started the TAT, you had uh, maybe a couple hundred hours on your bike, if that. I wouldn't say hundred hours. I'd say hundred miles. Hundred miles. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's good that you don't know what you get yourself into, right? <laughs> right, yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, if you did, you might not do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you knew what was around that, that trail around the Grand Canyon, and you got on that bike, and that was enough for you to say, maybe not today. But with the TAT, it seems like, well, you know, I'm just kind of cruising across the United States, and, you know, what you don't know, uh, you know, ignorance is bliss, I think, at that point, right? Well, what I love about dual sports is, you know, I'm wearing head to toe aero stitch. I've got a helmet on. I'm usually going 40 to 60 miles an hour. So I'm probably not going to die on a gravel road. I may uh, crash and break my collarbone, but it's it's um, it's the, the risks are lower than they are buying a you know ninja and, you know, racing around town. Yeah. Street racing. Yeah. And, and Gabriella, you're you're from Hungary. Yes, originally right and and your intro into dual sport was born out of necessity really right yes that's correct so i just moved from hungary to england and back then i was doing skydiving as as matt mentioned it now and my justification of why to get a motorcycle license was that i had no way to get to the airfield in england from where i was living and I always liked extreme sports. So I was like, this is my opportunity. I could either buy a car here or I could try motorcycling. I always liked that idea. <laughs> so I 
decided to try it. Um, so I did my license. I didn't know anybody. I got a motorcycle and I just started to go to the airfield. And um, basically, like just the fact how much it opens my opened my, my mind about uh, England. After that, when I got my motorcycle, I started to just go for motorcycle rides in England after every workday. And I was doing easily like, you know, 3000 miles in like, you know, months sometimes because I was just constantly on the bike. I, I was hooked. And then I, I met uh, a back then boyfriend and he was a bike mechanic. And we decided that we're going to open a, a, a side business, uh, you know, for his main business. And I'm just doing it on the side, a motorcycle shop. So from that on, it was like 100% uh, in my life. And we were servicing bikes, we were selling and, and fixing our bikes. So uh, that's what we were doing in England. And that is when I learned quite a lot of how to work on my own bike, right? And uh, that gave me some confidence on, on yeah, I, I could do, um, like his saying was always that if a man, if a man put it together, then I can fix it because it shouldn't be that complicated. It's not like, you know, right. nature figured out something weird, you know, you just have to understand it and then you could fix it. And and I guess his motto is still with me many times when I something's wrong with the bike is like, let's just sit down, understand what the problem is, and then we could see most likely we can, we can fix it. You're welcome to ride with us anytime. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my mind does not work like that. <laughs> so you were in England kind of doing this as a side gig. Uh, when did you come over to the U.S.? Yeah, so like after that, since um, as Maddie said, I also on the other end, I'm not just a motorcycle rider, I'm a scientist. Right. So I was doing my PhD in England, and when that was over, I was looking for the next step in my in my scientific career, and that's when um, my next step was to come to to US because here science is really um, good. So everybody was telling me I should definitely wanna need to come to the US, and uh, and and as, as as part of my scientific career. So I came here in 2012. Actually, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. From Europe, yes. <laughs> and, and and you're a doctor in virology, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And for all those, um, I not that I had to look it up, but I looked it up. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you're but essentially, I mean, uh, for the times, you're studying things like coronavirus. Yes. So I actually wrote my PhD thesis on coronaviruses. Uh, that was one of the viruses what I was studying during my <laughs> PhD. It was coronaviruses and influenza. These were the two viruses which I was working on. <laughs> Extremely topical. So podcast for another time. Exactly. Yeah. I, I right? just to make the joke that uh, I basically, um, after my PhD, I went to on a different virus group because back then in 2012, uh, we could not secure any for, uh, funding for coronavirus studies because it wasn't a, a <laughs> interesting enough virus or a harmful enough virus to to give funding for studying coronaviruses. So, oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> hindsight is 2020, isn't it? Wow, indeed. Okay, so Matt, you take a couple of your pals, yep, and you decide um, the traditional start of the TAT, which is in Tennessee, isn't quite long enough or adventurous enough. So you you actually go all the way to the East Coast. Yeah, we, we started at Myrtle Beach. Okay. And um, there wasn't really, uh, I think the TAT goes further east than Teleco Plains now. I'm not I'm not 100% sure, but 
Okay. I think some people have figured out ways to do it, but at the time there wasn't that. So we thought we'd use the first uh, day and a half or a couple days to just kind of get used to the bikes being all heavily loaded. And, um, but yeah, we, we touched, you know, we, we walked down to the ocean, kicked the surf, and then we wanted to do the same in Oregon. And what we did, we did end up doing the same in Oregon. So, so let's talk a little bit about, because, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to, to pre-read a few chapters of right. your, your upcoming book here. Yeah. And it, it got, I mean, I was the first paragraph and, you know, I'm like, I'm going to be late for work. Cause I'm just going to keep reading this thing. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, why you got on the motorcycle. I mean, you, you've had anxiety, um, and you know, you fought, fought a few demons along the way. Sure. And, and how did you, you know, mm-hmm. get, get to a point where you, you thought motorcycle, you know, might be a better ailment than, than a pill. Great. So yeah. And I'll, I'll also say that, you know, as far as the content that I consume, whether it's movies or books, um, the, the most interesting part to me isn't when everything goes smoothly. It's, it's when people are, you know, not sure how it's going to go. And, um, but I'll, I'll rewind a little bit. The, when I first started motorcycling, it was frightening to me. And statistically it's, you know, it's more dangerous than flying. It's more dangerous than a lot of things. Uh, but what it does give you is control. So I can, you know, if you're caught in traffic, you can, on a motorcycle, you can get out of it. No problem hop a curb, whatever. Um, and when I would go out and explore, you know, you have a little more freedom and, and a motorcycle was a great way to sort of push my limits and get to interesting places that I couldn't do any other way. And I mean, this, this anxiety is not just, uh, the, the typical, uh, run of the mill. Hey, this is a pretty steep hill. I got some butterflies. Yeah, this is, this is a yeah, little, I, little more serious. Yeah, I watched a I watched a video of some people doing the Trans America Trail uh, last night on YouTube, and they were um, they were anxious and they were nervous, and they actually ended up going up Cinnamon Pass and then going no no, no it's too it's too much, and um, so I think that's what's really relatable about my story is all of us that are on adventure bikes get to places where we're not sure how it's going to go. And and it's a little bit scary. And the overall message I want people to gather from this is you're, you're more capable than you think you are. And yes, I, I didn't just, I wasn't just a little bit nervous. I had, I was battling panic attacks for 15 years and uh, to the point where, you know, I got into deep depression because I was like, you know, what's the point of anything if I can't go on adventures and have fun? And I had had um, I had issues with some poisons and things. And, you know, I've been sober now almost 16 years. And when I got sober, I thought, well, this is this is like a ripoff. I, I change everything in my life and now I can't even go have fun. Like, what the heck? So the sobriety brought the anxiousness to the surface. Well, right? I mean, I, I think one of the wonderful things about alcohol is that it's a perfect pacifier for my scared brain. So yeah. it worked for a really long time and, um, you know, then it didn't. So uh, when I got sober, I, you know, first time I got on a plane, I was fine. And then I think like the third time I was going somewhere, I felt really confined on an airplane and it's not the plane crashing that scares me. It's the being stuck on there thing. 
So when I write, the, the compliment that people are getting giving me is that they say they feel like they're in my shoes because I walk them through uh, what that fear feels like. And, you know, the, the fight or flight thing is a really interesting design. It's, it's made to help us escape the tiger or the bear. And, you know, your blood goes from your extremities to your core in case that bear gets a hold of your hand, you won't bleed out. Um, you're able to run faster. You're able to lift things you couldn't lift, but it does, it's a physiological thing that leaves you feeling really squirrely. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I battled it for a long time. I, I appreciate the way you write because it really does bring the reader into, into your shoes. Um, and, and I've never, um, had to deal with, you know, s- severe anxiety, but the feeling I get and what I, what I deal with. Uh, on these adventures. And, and Gabriella, we talked um, in kind of the pre-recording about, you know, how you rode uh, the Washington BDR and, and we talked about Babyhead Hill, right? And and that's a perfect example. As we're sitting at the bottom of that thing, I th- I go, I know the bike is capable. <laughs> and I know, I know on my best day, I'm capable, but I'm not sure that's today. And I got the rest of this trip and the rest of my life and all that stuff starts going through your head. And you start thinking, you know, and then uh, Mark Sampson, big dog, right? He, he turn around, don't drown, right? And so all this stuff goes through your head and you're like, you know what? I came on this trip to do this adventure and I know what it's going to feel like when I'm at the top of this hill and I've conquered it and how good that's going to feel. But I also know how bad it's going to feel when, you know, I'm having my third ACL surgery uh, because I, I didn't make it. You might and- also, you might also have six or seven guys that either at the top of the hill or at the bottom of the hill going, come on, you right. can do it. Yeah. And the, and, the, and the peer pressure on top of that, <laughs> right. To boot. So, you know, I, I, I can only imagine that feeling, you know, hyper amplified uh, to, to almost a paralyzing uh, extent. And and I thought it was, what was interesting, you know, in some of the photos I saw where, you know, you've gone so far as to, to write relax in your visor helmet <laughs> visor as yeah. almost, you know, this visual reminder of like, you know, take a deep breath and, and, and you'll get through this. And I think it's, I think all of us, if we're in an, on a new trail, like you don't know what's coming at you and um, whether somebody, you know, really str- has struggled with it or doesn't, you know, struggle much, there's still, you know, areas where you're like, how, there, it's sandy right now. Is it going to be sandy for 10 miles or a quarter mile or 30 miles? You don't know. Yeah. And my imagination is so vivid in the negative that I, um, I'll talk myself into freaking out. And um, I don't think I'm alone with that. I think other people also um, can get, can go negative. So, but I, yeah. on this trip, I learned, you know, ways to cope. So. Yeah. My father has the exact opposite reaction, by the way, in any emergency, like he goes hyper calm to, to a detrimental, like yeah. if we need to get somewhere, he's driving 30 miles an hour and we're like, <laughs> hey, like it's an, like my hands bleeding down. We got to get to the emergency room. I remember that as a kid, super, yeah. he goes into super slow-mo. Um, okay. So you guys, you guys get West, you get to Tennessee and and you actually get to meet Sam Carrera, right? The, yeah, this the, is on the, the founder. First yeah. My first yeah. With first we stop in at Sam's house and he's also very Zen. I mean, he is calm when, if you close your eyes, it's, he sounds just like Jimmy Carter. 
Um, Is that right? Very peaceful, doesn't get riled over anything. He one of the things that goes haywire on that first trip is he he offers he offers to ride with us in Colorado. And I was like, hell yeah, like to be in it'd be sort of like a loose endorsement of us um, by him. And you can't get lost if the writer of the tat is with you. Um, (laughs) So that really appealed to me. But, you know, we had some interpersonal conflicts with, you know, we got to be pure to the tat. We got to stay on the dirt. And and I was like, if we stay on the dirt, we're not going to be able to reach Sam and then by, you know, so we got in this huge fight and I don't know if you ever, when you're navigating uh, on the trail, if you get into a fight with somebody, it's really hard to concentrate when your next left turn is and using the roll charts, you know, you're off by a 10th of a mile. You're done. Like you don't yeah. know where you are. And, uh, and, and so we were, yeah, the first trip got really haywire, really, I guess that was in, um, after in Mississippi. And um, so we hit some hit some highway miles while I was trying to sort out. I, I was going to kick my friend off the trip. I was like, I'm done with you. I, I mean, he, and he's like, this is a phony trip. This is this is bullshit. We're not you sold me on the tat. And yeah, yeah we're not. This is, right. and, you know, we're a bunch of wimps now. I'm embarrassed <laughs> to be on this trip. But we actually just in the last month started talking yeah. to each other again. Yeah. And um, we're just like, hey, man, I'm sorry. I was like, I'm sorry that I took away you know, some of the magic of the trip by being so frightened. And he was very gracious and said, you know, there, I think there was sometimes you might've saved us from getting into trouble. So, um, yeah. Were all three of you guys kind of at the same skill level as far as riding abilities? Yeah. Yeah. We had, we had two DRZs and a KLR and, um, uh, we were all, you know, yeah, we were all pretty new. What were your takeaways from Sam and talking to him? I read, yeah, I read a New York Times article a while back about just, you know, his he would just take off and ride down these dirt roads and and have like no real idea where he was going. And you know, to me, I always like to have a destination, whether that's yeah. a ca- cafe or a, you know, bar or what, whatever. I like to have somewhere I'm gonna. And you know, he would just wander and record it all, yeah, and, and come back and I just stat, you know, my image is of. And it might have been a picture in the article. It's just he's got these stacks of maps and maps and maps yeah. in his house. And I was wondering what your impression was when you met him. Of yeah, he. Um, I, I collect maps too, so I have a love of that kind of uh, information. And I, I I can stare at a map for a really long time, just kind of getting to know uh, an area. And you know, because of the Trans America Trail, my whole life changed. You know, when when we went through when we wrote when I rode across the whole country and I hit Oregon, I was like, what the hell am I doing living in Texas? There's Oregon is amazing. There's there's deserts, there's forests, there's ocean, there's can't I, I can be, ski and go fly fishing in the desert in the same day. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be sitting here with her if Sam hadn't done the, the tat maps, you know. And uh, at the same time, while I thank him for that, when you're doing it, you want to strangle him because you'll be so close to your destination. And then to start doing these north south things. And you're like, ah, I just want to get to t- the t-. you know, you're two miles from town. But then right. you start zigzagging on dirt roads and you're like, this doesn't even go to anything. So, <laughs> um, big, right. Yeah. He does that a lot where like you, you, or at the very end, you're really close to the ocean. And then he's like putting in the, you know, you're going east to west, but then he puts in these north, south zigzags and you're like, what in the world is the point of this? Um, and, you know, to his credit, the point is 
to get some more dirt under your tires. Yeah. I mean, Slow down and look around. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but, and then there's also, um, you know, you'll have some easy stuff and the way the trail existed in 2013 was there was always each day, there'd be a one or two special sections where it's, it goes to single track or something pretty sketchy. And there was one stretch in Oregon where it was, sounds like that baby head Hill in Washington state. You just look at it and you're like, I have no idea if this will work, but you just gun it and you you stand up on the pegs and you just hope for the best. And then when you get to the top, you look at, you look at your friends cause you don't think they're going to make it, but somehow you make it to the top. And I swear to God that I looked down at the roll chart and it said, take a left at the dead tree. And you're like, do you know how many dead trees are in Oregon? But the, it was exactly, exactly where, there. I mean, it was matching to the 10th <laughs> of a mile. Uh, so yeah. And, and, but, and then sometimes it'll just, the trail seems like it's going to peter out or you're ducking under fallen trees. And um, you're like, there's no way, Sam, there's no way this is the real trail, but you, you know, you have a map, a GPS and um, roll charts. And the roll and charts. If two of them confirm, then you're on the right trail. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, Sam ended up having, uh, I believe it was back issues and he didn't even end up going to Colorado after all. So my buddies and I got into some arguments and in Colorado, I was like ready to put my big boy pants on and face these huge mountains that scare the hell out of me. And I, uh, you know, the, the scared part of my brain was relieved when my buddies, uh, he, he was the only one that rejetted his, uh, uh, carburetor for the altitude yeah. and he was the only one that had problems so we KLR up, yeah on the KLR and yeah. we got up to 10,000 foot pass oh, we it, know. Wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't go it was just like clock, 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 clock. and so we spent um, a day at this uh, I think we were in Gunnison Colorado or anyways we spent a whole day at a mechanic and that meant we because the bike wasn't riding I was like I don't think we should go way 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 in the back country so we we were already missing some crucial tat like the high passes we were sort of yeah. parallel to them but we were further north and i thought well let's go up from the west side so we can at least check the boxes of california pass corkscrew pass cinnamon pass and those you know you always see those pictures of animus forks but my buddy's bike was even after the mechanic it was still clot it was really um not behaving well so you know, in in uh, in Oklahoma, we got pushed off the tap by tornadoes that were running through the area. And Sam and everybody was like, "You don't want to be out in those cornfields when and you get pushed around pretty pretty good." It's, it's just uh, the mud turns to peanut butter, and so Oklahoma even was a lot of pavement. Um, but but when we got to Colorado, it was the first time where I was like, I felt like I really missed something on the trail. Uh, Oklahoma, you know, God bless them, but it wasn't very right. exciting. Six hundred miles of flat. Um, so in Colorado, we missed some of the mountain passes and I felt like, you know, I was missing some of what Sam set out to do. And then in, uh, the opening chapter of the book is when my GPS goes crazy and it's telling me that we're going in a straight line, even though it was completely serpentine, we were, uh, fighting more than normal and, things were just unraveling and And so my panic, my panic level, you know, you add a interpersonal fight on top of it. So I'm up to here. And then it's like, okay, we're in Nevada where the trail is the scariest of all. 
and it's 98 degrees outside, do you really want to ride right into that dust storm where you can't see anything? So, you know, in the end, there was, I just felt like, you know, I made it coast to coast on my dual sport motorcycle. I hit a lot of dirt, but I didn't right. really do the tat. You didn't do the essence of the tat. I didn't do the essence of it. And, yeah. and you know, in Oregon, Travis, the, the guy that I was having some trouble with, he was like, let's, let's finish strong. And I, and I credit him for pushing me. Yeah. Um, Cause Oregon, we did do really, um, we were in the thick of the woods the whole time. So that was uh, exciting and fun. And, and then that way, when she and I came to Oregon, you know, we live here, so uh, we didn't really feel like there was any um, gaps to fill there. So we just enjoyed ourselves. Yeah. L- let me let me ask Gabriella, because so when when Matthew's doing this in 2013 with his buddies and they got the infighting and, and all this is going on, mm-hmm. uh, you're you're in Atlanta earning your your Ph.D. Do, do you do you have a bike at this point? Yeah, so uh, I did my PhD. Sorry, I did my PhD in England. So I was okay. a postdoctoral research postdoctoral research. Okay. Yeah. And yes, I did have a bike, um, and I moved to Georgia in March. In May, I bought my Ninja six fifty. I was doing road uh, riding, and I was just doing like you know sport touring. I I I didn't really have any um, like need or like exposure to to dirt riding at all in in Europe or or in in Georgia, um, but I was doing a lot of miles just like exploring the area on my motorcycles. Um, and then I I got um, luckily I got a, a position in, in in a company in in Portland, Oregon. So I moved out here in 2014. And when I was doing my my normal, just scouting around, going around, doing motorcycle trips here in Oregon, I first the time in my life realized that, hey, there is this something over there where I want to see, and I can't go there because it's dirt road. And there is also these amazing pictures about that place, but it's dirt road. So I was thinking that, you know, hey, I, I need to have a different type of bike. And that's how I decided to get a DR650. Um, I think I got it in 2015. Um, and, but I, I, after riding road all the time, I, I, first of all, I didn't have people here in Oregon who are, who know, um, like who I know who I could ride with. Um, I always, well, most of the time in, in the U S I was riding by myself. Um, and on the road, it's okay. You know, it's if worst case scenario, if you break down and you can't fix your bike, there will be cars coming. But I quickly realized that on a DR650, I can easily find myself really fast in a situation where nobody going to come by for <laughs> maybe even days. So because I didn't know anybody here and um, I was traveling internationally quite a lot um, back then with that job, uh, how, how like in my mind, it made completely sense that since I need to learn how to ride dual sport and off-road bikes, like, you know, better is a different, whole different skill set than uh, riding road bikes. And I don't have any bodies here. It will take time for me to find bodies. Um, I was uh, traveling down in South America and I, I was down in Bolivia for work. And I just learned about how, like, you know, the Dakar is down there, the, the Salah de Uyuni, the Death Road. And I was like, yeah, if I can find, like, a motorcycle tour guy down there who will take me, that's what I'm going to learn. And uh, <laughs> makes sense, right? Pay right. Down there is cheaper than in the U.S. You have adventure and everything else. It all made sense to me. 
Um, now the fun part is that uh, none of the adventure bike guides take you as a single girl. <laughs> they, three of them refused me to take uh, to take me uh, when I told them that it's just me, not my boyfriend, not my husband. It's just me alone, and they said no. Then we're not gonna take you. Really? So, yeah. <laughs> wow. So then I finally found a guy, and uh, because I told him I was riding for a long time and have a DR650. He said, like, okay, you're probably not as bad. I will I will guide you. And then uh, it was basically um, ended up just the two of us. So he was intentionally keeping it small. And there was supposed to be one more person. But at the end, that person couldn't make it. So I think it was I'm, I was glad that it was just the two of us because I was really new to dual sport riding. And I did not realize until that trip, like, how much you can still learn. He was a hard enduro racer, thank goodness. And um, I, because I was doing lots of uh, touring, I, I, I have the attitude that, you know, I don't like risking things when it's not necessary. But if you're on a road and you have to get from A to B, then let's just like, you know, just have to get going. There is just no other chance. You're either going to sleep here in this bad situation or you get through it. So right. I, I learned a lot on that trip. And that is when we went through the, uh, the death road and we went down riding in the Salah de Uyuni. Uh, he was teaching me all how to ride through sand and and salt and mud and all of these things, which is until today. Like I'm, I'm so thankful because many people are struggling with riding in these bad conditions, and I got the really deep immersion and good advice. and And I'm, I'm, I'm okay with many of these conditions to ride in. Yeah. You go down. You have this unbelievable South American adventure. Matt, you're you're riding the TAT with your buddy. I know the timeline doesn't line up here exactly, right? But you guys are kind of living these separate lives. And 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 fast forward a little bit, Matt. You you know um, you're you're no longer married. Uh, yeah. Well, I I just want to. She she said something very quickly there that I think should be noted. So while I was scared of the mud in Oklahoma, she as a new dual sport rider says, "Give me the death road, the most dangerous road in the world." Right. Where I want to, you know, that's where I want to learn to ride dual sports. But we, yeah, I'm beginning we, to see why you guys make such a good couple here. Yeah, we uh, we we were both married, and you know, both of our marriages fell apart. And and the funny thing was, the reason that they fell apart is our spouses didn't want what we wanted out of life. And you know, that meant for me, it meant having more adventures. And I don't care about you know material things. I want to travel. I want experiences. I want. Um, uh, I want a life that's rich with, with, you know, adventure and my, you know, ex-spouse, she didn't want that at all. And so when I moved to Oregon, I was like, you know, there's, there's adventures in every direction, but yeah, I hadn't, you know, she was, she was probably trying to figure this stuff out at the same time I was. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, I think the Bolivia motorcycle trip was putting, uh, I can definitely end on on my marriage because I just said, like, I want more of this. I don't want to have that like normal life or considered normal when you just go home after your uh, job and you don't do anything fun. Like it just when you're done, it just makes you feel alive. And I just wanted to have more of that. Yeah. Yeah. This, This is the part I really like. You guys are single, right? And and you go on to match.com. Mm-hmm. And and tell me what stood out about each of your profiles. <laughs> okay, so I want to say the disclaimer that the only reason why I was on Match.com because I just broke my hand on a Washington BDR 
And I was, I was like, I couldn't ride. I was getting depressed because I couldn't get my adventure up and I was single. And uh, my colleague was teasing me that why don't you go on unmatch.com and people meet online and you could find your uh, partner. And I was just, I just went on match.com to prove him wrong because I was telling him that nobody worthy who would I, I would date would be on match.com. And uh, sure enough, I register. And the first day um, I saw his profile, he liked me and I was looking at his profile and it was one of the Colorado past pictures on his profile. And I'm like, oh, okay, there might be somebody. And uh, <laughs> but, but you you each had pictures of of dual sport adventure bikes on your profiles, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's perfect. Yeah, definitely. So you, you guys start dating uh, in Oregon and... And there's unfinished business on the TAT, right? Yeah. Okay. So so take me through um, how you guys uh, decide to to go back and and kind of right the wrong turns, if you will, uh, of the of the first trip. So COVID plays a part in this story too, because I was uh, actually a mountain bike guide in Central Oregon, which is three hours east of here, and I was working at a bike shop and. Uh, She's, when COVID hit, she's like, why don't you just come over here? There's more um, jobs and stuff. And she also, at the time in Oregon, I was pretty poor and I didn't have a dual sport bike. But, you know, the first time she opened up her garage, I'm like, huh? there's just <laughs> motorcycle, 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 motorcycle. So I'm like, this girl is amazing. <laughs> and um, so I was riding one of her bikes. And, uh, you know, eventually I ended up buying um, buying her old DRZ and she got a shinier, fancier one. But then she was just so supportive. She she knew that I had she knew about my previous book and she was just like she saw me working these retail jobs or whatever, knowing that I'm kind of built for bigger things. And she she knew that, uh, you know, my creative potential wasn't being reached. So she was kind of pressuring me to finish the book. And, you know, the way the book was before, it's like, you know, three guys sort of do the tat. It's just not a great story. Right. Um, and then she was just like, she goes, we need to go finish the gaps on the map. And I was like, okay, right on. And then I started getting therapy for my uh, phobia stuff. So, yeah. And, and so you guys actually go back in and, and do that as a couple yeah. on, on DRZs. Yes. Yeah. Did you Colorado. So we started with Colorado. That was the okay. part we both wanted to do. So that's how we found okay. out. Yeah. The, the the book, Topography of Fear, uh, which is which is coming out shortly, details and chronicles all of this and and your kind of emotional state uh, along the way and how you, you know, use your dual sport bike to to overcome a lot of this, which is fantastic. I you know, I I, I don't always think you're going to something i think sometimes you're getting away from stuff on a bike and uh so i think there's a, a lot of symbolism to uh being up on two wheels uh for for lots of people yeah uh, you referenced you know you, you had another book and and i want to get into this because i think it's pretty interesting um you're you're a photographer by background a, a good enough photographer that the university of texas offered you a job to teach photography at the university of texas austin right yeah Talk a little bit because I, I think this is um, for every dual sport or adventure rider. 
Right? There are long sections where you're in your head. Um, and I don't like to be in my head that long. So there is always a playlist going on in in my my earphones, in my helmet. And I think it's such a, your, your first book was so interesting uh, because it really is the intersection of culture and music, which has really nothing to do with motorcycling other than every guy who rides or, or gal that rides a motorcycle is listening to music. Uh, so, so talk a little bit about, about your first book. Yeah. So I was living in Austin, Texas for 30 years and uh, I was actually meditating one day. And when I was done meditating, this idea popped in my head. Why don't you do a book on Austin musicians? Uh, and I had shot lots of album covers and stuff. And I'm, I run in similar circles to musicians and I, I have the utmost respect of somebody that has the cojones to get on a stage and, you know, bear their soul to somebody, to a melody that they made up. Uh, and also my career, you know, like sometimes I would show up to shoot a gig and there'd be a band and, you know, we shot a wedding or we, we were at a wedding where they were the band and I was the photographer, you know, three years ago. And I'm like, Oh, Hey man, I haven't seen you guys. And you're sort of just doing these gigs to, to still do your craft, to, to, to stay in the creative field. And so I've always just loved them and music has just been important to me. And so when I had the idea to do that book, it was just green light, green light, green light, green light. Uh, the average self-published book, sells 150 copies. And that one, when it was done, I sold 5,000 of them. And that's, by some standards, that's not a lot, but it's a thick $50 coffee table book. It's not like a little paperback. This, this new one's going to be a smaller paperback. Um, but it was a great experience. You know, I had to convince the musicians to, you know, I'm not a celebrity or anything. So I had to convince them why. And I, I did that with my pictures. So when they saw the caliber of photography I was talking about, these weren't concert shots. They were they were not, um, you know, pictures I took while they were on stage that anybody could take. They were intimate portraits in intimate settings where that told a story about who the person was. And that stuff, I, I've been doing that since I was 15. So it really comes naturally. And, you know, actually, the one of the other reasons I did that project was because the the nature of my photography career was, you know, there's not, there's su supply and demand is a thing and there's, right. everybody's got a camera now and there's less magazines there than there ever were. And, you know, I'm not getting any younger. So people hiring people my age was just not really a thing. So the book was a way for me to say, okay, world, what can I put out there that's useful to you that uses my skill set? And, um, and it, and it did really well. Some of my um, photography idols that I thought were like the best photographers in the world you know, their coffee table books sold less than a thousand copies. So right. it was really a, a nice experience and it gives, gave me confidence in to do this one. And, and the, and these are major musicians. I mean, this, this is Willie Nelson. Yeah, yeah, I love, love it. Yeah. yeah. And, and lots of other ones. And in, in the book, some of them aren't as well known. If you're not a music nerd, you won't know who a lot of them are, but the, the text in the book was, here's why you should know, like, for example, Billy Joe Shaver, he's not a household name. Well, it depends on the household, but right. what, there would be no Waylon Jennings if it wasn't for Billy Joe Shaver. Yeah. And and uh, lots of lots of the songwriters, like Lyle Lovett told us, no, he didn't want to be in our book like five times. And uh, then we finally got one of his favorite songwriters, Guy Clark, who lives in Nashville. And once we had that, then he's like, OK, I'm on board. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was a fun 
fun, fun process. Well, you know, I think that your, your talent for photography comes through. I'm, you know, a, a visual guy and I think a lot of us are. And so when, when you see the pictures that you've taken of your adventure rides and you say, everybody's got a phone and with a camera and they do, but you know, mine always comes out a, a second too late with a dusty lens that never, you know, I always tell my wife, I swear you should have seen this hill in real life. Yeah. But, but right. But when you take the picture of it, it looks like, you know, you could ride up it with a, with a tricycle. Um, and, and your, your photography and the stuff that you capture with, with you and Gabriella and the adventure, it really does capture not only the kind of grandeur of, of where you are um, from a topographical or geographical sense, but it captures, you know, real life, you guys, you know, uh, dirty faces and, and dirty outfits and, you know, kind of what, what life is like out, out on the trail. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's fun to look at. And I'll put, um, some of your pictures up on the website, uh, and online after, uh, after this podcast. Um, so what's next for Matthew and Gabriella? Where are you guys, what, what, what trips do you have planned and where are you headed? So he just proposed to me in <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> Yay! Congratulations. Not an idiot. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, one thing is we, we're planning our wedding for this summer, and uh, after that, our honeymoon. What we're planning is to ride down in New Mexico. So we're gonna do something like uh, either the. New Mexico BDR or a combination of our planning plus the BDR routes, something like that. Like spending there about two weeks that and just riding around exploring New Mexico. That that's the plan for honeymoon. So when is the wedding? In August. <laughs> We're gonna You be, guys uh, might actually run into us in New Mexico. That's going to be part of our trip. If you back two weeks out from uh, Labor Day this year, we're gonna do uh, Salt Lake to Santa Fe. Oh, okay. Yeah. And right. yeah, hook on to the Utah BDR. And I was just telling Terry before we got on that uh, you guys uh, stayed at the three step hideaway. Good, good experience, right? Because I've been telling Terry, I think we should, we should stop, stop by. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, they have a really nice place, amazing property, really nice views, amazing sunset and sunrise. And they are super nice people. Um, it's absolutely, I, I, I don't think we, we can say enough good things about them. We want to go back. Yeah, it's well, really. Not only that, but I, I'm, they inspired us with the way that they've done all their off the grid stuff. Uh, and we, I mean, I'd love for that to be what our retirement looks like. Uh, yeah. Have some property and maybe some dual sporters come through or bicyclists. There, there's, there's places in Oregon where you can put a place like that uh, where the crossroads meet and then you, you get cyclists and motorcyclists. And uh, anyway, so yeah, they, they're so kind. And, and I didn't even, we, we didn't know he was a motorcyclist till like the day we were leaving. He just didn't. Oh, really? Up. Yeah. He, he just didn't talk <laughs> about it much. And he was, I was all talking about the green building and stuff. We were geeked out. Like the whole time I was there, I was just like asking him, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? And uh and yeah, they were great people. Very kind. Yeah. Can't recommend it enough. Yeah. Good. Put their, put their link on our thing like you did with Big Dogs. I will. Yeah. I will. For sure. Well, guys, this has been 
a blast. Uh, very, very fun to talk to both of you. I think you have a great, uh, unique story and uh, full of adventure. And it sounds like uh, much more to come. So uh, thank you guys for coming on. Terry, thanks as always for co-hosting. Okay. Uh, the, topog- the topography of fear will be out and uh, we'll, we'll put a link uh, back to Matthew's page. So if you, if you want to buy that and order it and, and read all about the adventures, uh, you can do that there. So thank you guys again for Matt McFadden. Uh, this is the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. How do we get? How are we going to tell the story? Okay, we well, just... we're in. We're in. What's the epilogue? Right. Uh, w- this is the epilogue of um, Matthew and Gabriella, and and we had just stopped recording, and Terry asked Gabriella how she had actually broken her hand on the the washing BDR. So Gabrielle, go ahead and pick it up. Pick it up from there. Yeah. So we were talking about it, and I was just telling the story how. Um, it was that we were riding the Washington BDR route from actually north to south. So we were riding backwards to uh, to Portland. And uh, I, I uh, crashed after the baby had healed. And uh, a couple of days ago when we were talking with Matt, he mentioned the, the, the struggle with the, the, the first baby had healed, thinking that that was it. Uh, but then realizing there was a second one. And referring back to that, uh, we just realized that... Um, we passed each other on the trail. <laughs> we, we passed each other. You guys, <laughs> you guys came down the second baby head hill, and we were at the bottom contemplating things. And and to Terry's point, we had broken into two groups at this point. But you guys came down and stopped, and we talked to you guys. And uh, you said it's not that bad. Don't worry about it. You, you got it all. And you watched one of us go, and I think you said, uh, "No, we're not going to stick around to see, <laughs> see how this ends." Up. She yeah. has a she has a broken hand. She can't be lifting up on yeah. your bikes. <laughs> but I think the funny thing is that how the whole how we realized this is when you said that uh, we run into this group with uh, like four women riders. And that's not that common, right? It's and not. I remember no. that, with that group, it was the most uh, dual sport uh, female riders who I ever been with. I usually the only girl. And when you mentioned that, it just clicked. That it clicked. Thing. Yeah. And uh, then the story with the bush. Yes. <laughs> that is the wildest coincidence ever. So that's so much fun. Well, I remember thinking, and we actually said it after you guys left, we were like, "Those those girls are total badasses." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Well, th- well, thanks for, for sharing that story. I'm glad we were able to make that connection and, and so fun that we were able to, you know, connect in a past life, you know, <laughs> that's right. Small world. Phenomenal. Very phenomenal. <laughs>